experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. I've spent a lot of time on the markets and what's happening now and not a lot of time on the investment basics, the fundamentals. So I thought I'd do that today. Thanks for joining the conversation. I'm Eric Whiteman here at the XML Financial Group, and this is Common Sense Investing. If you've listened to any of the past shows, you've probably been able to pick up on the fact that I'm a diehard value investor. What does that mean? Well, if you ask my wife, she just says I'm cheap. And well, she's half right. Okay, well, she's mostly right. But anyhow, let's not get hung up on that. When it comes to investing, you have two basic camps, two basic camps of investors. You have the growth camp and then you have the value camp. Once again, you have the growth camp and the value camp. And I've been in a room full of people and I've asked them to raise their hand if they would rather be a growth investor or a value investor. And of course, everyone's hand shoots, shoot up and they say, well, we want growth, growth, growth. Yeah, we all want to make lots of money, right? Who doesn't? But I really think it's a misnomer. Both the value camp and the growth camps, they want to make you money. They want your portfolio to increase in value. It's just they go about it in different ways. Even within both camps, you'll see a wide variety of approaches, all different kinds of approaches within the value and the growth camps. Why am I even talking about this? Because I think it's important that you have some set, I don't know, tenets for your investing. Because if you don't have that framework and it comes time for you to invest, you're probably just going to be adding to what's hot or what's current right now. And then after a few years, you're just going to end up with a portfolio full of junk. You're not going to have any idea of what you own or why you own it. Just, well, I thought it looked good at the time, right? If you have some well thought out rules and principles, I think it'll help you stay on the straight and narrow. A growth investor is going to be looking for momentum. They're going to look at it and say, well, what's on the upswing here today? They're going to be much more concerned with what the charts look like than what the balance sheet looks like. And that's how they're going to trade. Some growth investors focus solely on the macro or, or the big picture, and they invest that way. So, for example, they'll look at all the numbers. and They'll find a country that they think has good prospects. GDP looks good. Check. The economy looks fine. Check. Then they'll start digging a little bit deeper to find sectors that they might want to be investing in. And then once they get there, once they find a couple of good sectors, that's when they start looking at actual investments. And my point here is that by starting from the top down, taking this macro approach, you're going to have to make a lot of different decisions. And at any point, if you make a wrong decision, well, that could take you way off the path that you want to be on. Now, I think there's a better way, a more common sense approach. And that's from the bottoms up, as they say, focusing on the fundamentals, being a value investor. I strongly urge you 
to be value oriented. If you think about all the great investors, past and present, you know, Warren Buffett, Sir John Templeton, Ben Graham, Peter Lynch, Michael Bryce, I could go on and on. They all have something in common. They were all value or all are value oriented. All a little different, but all value. Ben Graham, for example, considered the father of value investor back in the 30s, wrote a couple of great books. He was considered deep value. Basically, he was looking for just dirt cheap stocks. Problem for me with that is sometimes those stocks deserve to be cheap because they just weren't good businesses. Peter Lynch, he popularized growth at a reasonable price, or GARP, as a lot of folks say. He was willing to pay up a bit more for businesses that were growing faster than others, but he wasn't willing just to pay anything for it. Warren Buffett, who was actually a student of Ben Graham, he likes to buy quality at a discount. So as you see, there's a lot of branches to this value trade. I'm more like Buffett with a little Peter Lynch mixed in. I like to have a core portfolio of high quality businesses that I can hold on to for a long time and let them compound, right? That's the eighth wonder of the world, according to Einstein. I like to say, I'm trying to buy a dollar for 70 cents. But in today's world, eh, that can be extremely difficult to do. So these core type holdings, I'm willing to pay up a little bit more for because I'm going to own them, hopefully, for a very, very long time. Paying an extra dollar or two now probably isn't going to have a huge impact on my performance over the next 20 to 30 years. It'll have an impact on the other 50 or 60% of the portfolio that aren't core holdings. These are what I call the longer term trades. These are the more cyclical type businesses that are you're probably going to own for a couple of years. Perfect examples are things like the oil stocks and the home builders. Think about these kind of businesses. They go through their boom and bust cycles. So there's a time you want to buy them and there's a time that you want to sell them. So with the cyclical or longer term trades or non-core stocks, I'm pickier on the price with those because they have those ups and downs. The core holdings, well, those are pretty solid businesses in any type environment. Those businesses are less cyclical. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having some growth in your portfolio. There are periods, sometimes very long periods, like we've seen in recent years, where the growth style outperforms value. But longer term, value seems to win the battle. According to Eugene Fama, he's a Nobel Prize laureate and Dartmouth professor Kenneth French, from 1927 through 2019, over rolling 15-year time periods, value stocks have outperformed growth stocks. Guess, guess how, what the number is. Over 15-year time periods, value stocks have outperformed growth stocks 93% of the time. That's a pretty darn good argument for having a value-oriented portfolio, right? A finance professor from Creighton University, Dr. Rob, uh, Robert Johnson, he took that same data that Fama and French used. He took that same data and found that 
over a one-year rolling period, not the 15 that FAMA and French use, but over one-year periods, value still outperformed growth. Value outperformed 62% of the time. So still, pretty good argument to be value-oriented. But it also says to me, at least, having some growth-style investments in your portfolio probably is not going to hurt as long as you do do it wisely. And here's the problem. Here's the problem I have with this data. We're talking about the French FAMA data and this ongoing persistent debate about, oh, what's better, value or growth? My problem with it is, is their definition of what's value and what's growth doesn't necessarily fit what mine is. Most of the value and the growth indices that are out there are using things like price to book or PE ratios to determine which category a stock fits into. I don't think it's quite that easy. I don't think it's quite that clean. I don't want to argue with a Nobel Prize winner, but but here's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's probably been, I don't know, 10 years ago, at least 10 years ago, I looked at, uh, looked at Apple, symbol AAPL. Like I said, it's been a few years and I don't recall the exact number. So I'm just going to make them up here to make my point. Ten years ago, I looked at Apple. Clearly, at that time, Apple was a growth stock by almost anyone's definition, right? But I saw Apple trading at 10 times earnings with huge potential going forward. Didn't have any debt. Like I said, it was trading at a low multiple to earnings. To me, that looked like a value stock. But I will say, you had to think about this at the time. I will say it was and it should have been trading at that low PE multiple, 10 or 12 or whatever it was. It should have been trading at that low multiple because it was more reliant on selling phones and relied heavily on the next update or the next cycle as opposed to now where it has much broader, more diversified revenue streams. Back then, it was less predictable. And today, it's more predictable. When something's less predictable, you should pay less for it. And when something's more predictable, well, you should pay more for it. It's like a car. You're going to pay more for a car that starts every time, right? I will. When I look at all the research, all the data, throw in a little bit of common sense, everything points me in the direction of having a portfolio that's about 80 to 90% in value-oriented investments. The other 10 to 20% in growth. Why not? Smart growth, not crazy growth. Smart growth means you still want to invest in the high-quality businesses that make money. But they may be selling for a higher price because of their growth potential. Think of big cap tech like Microsoft, Amazon. You know the ones. I don't need to go over those. That's what I call smart growth. Not the crazy hot stock of the day growth, the meme trade or what have you. Those types of investments could have you end up suffering a permanent loss of capital. That's a nice way of saying you're not getting your money back. Think of it this way. The hot new startup, 
years away from making any real earnings. Trading at a high price because everyone is predicting this company is just going to blow up. Basically, what you're doing is you're buying a lottery ticket. You're betting on this company making money years down the line. A couple of problems here. First is with interest rates. Interest rates going up, well, that makes their future earnings stream worth less now. Let me try and explain that. Don't want to get too wonky, but I'll exaggerate to make my example. If you think that you're going to get a 7% earnings yield from this company five years into the future, but the banks are offering a 5 or 6% CD then, well, a lot of po- folks might opt for the safety of the CD. Or if, if, if inflation hovers around 7%, then you really didn't earn anything in real dollars. I know. That all might be a little confusing, but my point is the valuation dynamic for these high growth, no earning type businesses is a lot different at 7% interest rates than at 2% interest rates. And that's why you've seen the big tech and just tech in general taking it on the chin here the last six months. So let me pass along some thoughts. That'll help you hopefully become a better investor. The first thing is to have a plan. I'm talking about a financial plan. I've talked about this in the past. I'm not going to hammer it today. I say have a financial plan because very simply, if you don't know where you're going, it's hard to chart a path to get there. Second, don't focus on the market returns. You say, what? <laughs> That's why we invest is to focus on the market returns. Don't focus on market returns. Focus on getting the returns you need to get to where you want to go. We've been trained to think that we need to beat the S&P 500 or some other random benchmark to feel good about our portfolio, right? We need to know we came close to outperforming or outperform. No. If your financial plan is telling you that you need to achieve something like, I don't know, a 5 or 6% rate of return to get you from where you are to where you want to be, I would suggest very strongly that should be your benchmark, not the S&P 500. S&P 500 has nothing to do with it. You know that you're going to achieve what you want to by getting 5 or 6% returns. Why wouldn't you focus on that? And that's how you should build your portfolio. Some people need more than some other people. Some people just need to protect what they have. Everyone's different. I'll give you a sports analogy. If your favorite team is winning 40 to nothing, it's the first half. Do you think they're going to go and come out of the locker room in the second half? You think they're going to start throwing Hail Marys? No. No, of course they're not. They're going to play smart. They're going to play more defense. They're going to try not to blow the game because the goal is to win the game, not score as many points as you can. Sometimes people get confused by that. The goal is to win the game, not to run up the score. Having a plan should help you understand just how much offense and defense you're going to need to play. If you need help figuring this out, well, give us a call. 
number is 571-261-7670. We have the planners here that can help you. Third thing is I want you to be value oriented. Again, I've already spent a good amount of time on this, so I'm not going to hammer it anymore, except to say that I believe a portfolio should be heavily weighted towards the value investments. And a lot of that 40-50% should be in core holdings. Fourth, once you've gotten past one, two, and three here, I want you to be patient. Have patience. Patience is a virtue, right? Don't expect to have an investment pay off right after you buy. It's just not going to happen. Own good companies based off their fundamentals, and then you exercise the patience. Don't get caught up in short-term price movements. Again, don't worry about day-to-day fluctuations of the market. Because you know what? Pepsi may go up a couple of dollars one day, then go down a couple of dollars the next day. I can almost guarantee you that the chances are that Pepsi sold more Pepsi one day and a lot less the next day or close to zero. It's the market. Long-term real wealth is created by latching on to great businesses run by good, honest managers who act like owners. Those managers who are making the right asset allocation decisions, who are growing the dividends and who are growing the value of the business over the long term, that should really be your focus, the long term. And the last thing I'll leave you with today is don't forget Warren Buffett's rules to investing. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. That's where we're going to end today. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. I'm Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investing. to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talk about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and are not necessarily those of the XML Financial Group. I typically own and trade the securities I'm discussing, both personally and for my clients, but not all of them. Likewise, employees of XML and our affiliate broker-dealer may be trading and providing advice regarding the securities I mentioned to their clients as well. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, you should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I suggest you get someone who's qualified in those areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. I like to make projections and other forward-looking statements, which are just that, opinions. 
and are not actual results and are only valid as of the date of this recording. Things change constantly. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.